Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget the bug spray as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. This is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove, joined as always by my pal, Mark Matsky. Hey, hello. How are you? I'm um, fine. I'm, oh, good. <laughs> uh, so Mark is recording remotely from the epicenter of high strangeness in the Northeast. Um, wow, that was, that was a sentence and a half. I can't that believe was. I just spit that out. Um, <laughs> tell us, uh, tell us where you are. Well, we are, Andy and I are spending a few days in Champion, Pennsylvania, which is on the Laurel Ridge, just adjacent to the Chestnut Ridge. And we just up the road from us is Roaring Run Natural Area, which is actually mentioned in Invasion on Chestnut Ridge as the location of a upright walking canid, a.k.a. dogman sighting. So we went, we did a little bit of an excursion there around sundown um, two nights ago. And it's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Mm -hmm. Um, And Roaring Run, there is a trail where you actually walk alongside and through the run or the mountain stream and you actually have to go through it like reading various reviews we didn't go this far but you cross that stream or have to walk through it approximately 25 times on the hike so it's been sort of back to nature for us this week it's been really cool and i'll tell you a little bit in a, in a while about the drive that we did last night because it was sort of the most um like Stan Gordon slash invasion ish thing that we've done so far. We're just basically driving up and down the ridge, some of the likely locations. Wait, so what happened? Did you guys see a UFO and a Bigfoot? We uh no. <laughs> we saw a raccoon. Oh. And uh possum the sort of the possum was walking towards traffic, you know, rather uh nonchalantly it's no wonder you see those things dead all over the place yeah because it just didn't seem to phase him at all that there are these motorized vehicles coming towards him <laughs> and lots of deer i mean that, that should come as no surprise there's after dark you know it's there's deer constantly uh, mm-hmm. around every roadway that you're on yeah but you know we did i'll tell you this we were the object of amusement in kecksburg we um 
we stopped to make the obligatory photos of the acorn. Yeah. And there's quite a crowd at the VFW um, that for whatever reason, and it became quickly apparent that like in the vestibule entrance area, there were some locals watching us taking pictures of the acorn. And I'm sure, you know, (laughs) (laughs) referring to us in, um, I don't know, pejorative terms, perhaps. Yeah. um, We were definitely getting stared at, but it was fine. Yeah. It was funny. Part of the the, uh, thrill of going to the Chestnut Ridge. Oh, absolutely. Where, Where were we? I'm trying to think. Where were we that you, Andy, and I... We're driving around some state park not that long oh. ago. Yeah, that was state park. Um, remember, we got out, we walked down. Yeah, that, that was Keystone. Was it Keystone? When were we there? That's what I'm having a hard time remembering. Because I don't think it was Monster Bash. I mean, I feel like that was... Yeah, it was oh. Than that, wasn't it? I, I know what it was. It was the Western Conference, Western Pennsylvania oh, Conference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. Um, so you guys are having a good time. Yeah, we are. We are. And good. I think the the highlight for me in terms of the um, you know the unexplained stuff that we were kind of chasing down is last night. This was around sunset. And before we got into Kecksburg, we just stumbled across a cemetery in Mount Pleasant where it's um, built right into the hillside. And so we were able to drive in and walk to the top of it. And it offered just this amazing panoramic view. And it was, we took some pictures of that, of course. And then as we headed north and we made, you know, we went through Kecksburg, of course, and Mammoth and dairy dairy township i mean that's like ground zero for the 73 outbreak of reports Mm -hmm. and sightings and even since then there continue to be reports coming out of there but then especially continuing north we're trying to get up on the chestnut ridge actually because the road that we were on sort of veers away from the ridge at some point and we wanted to get closer to the ridge uh, mostly so that we could see the sunset better. But it, it, as it turns out, it dumped us out in Hillside. And then going north, there's this area called Gray Station. And those are mentioned in both Stan Gordon's book yeah. and Paul Johnson as really being uh, you know, uh, a huge hotbed for Bigfoot reports. And it's easy to see why. I mean, just driving through there at dusk, in Hillside, it's just a small community, and on the, I guess it'd be the eastern side of the road, you know, the, the um, backyards go literally up the hill and then end in the dense foliage of the ridge, and mm-hmm. it just continues up from there. And then when you leave Hillside and go down Gray Station Road, it's just extremely dense foliage and forest on both sides. <laughs> of the road and it's just extremely easy to imagine that anything could be in those woods um and it's just sort of a neat area as well i mean gray station evidently was a stop uh, along the railroad it's still an active line i mean we were there probably a grand total of 10 minutes and two trains went through uh, Hmm. during the time that we were there so it's still a live active railway um, yeah 
and that just adds sort of to the whole Pennsylvania vibe to it. Cause I'm pretty sure one of the trains was a coal train with car, you know, cars filled with coal, you know, heaping over yeah. the top. So just sort of a quintessential Chestnut Ridge experience. How long are you guys there? We are here. Uh, we were, we got here Sunday night and we're here until Saturday morning. Wow. Yeah. That's a trip. So, yeah. It, what originally was supposed to be was like a, a, a gap time between a church retreat that was actually scheduled for a uh, Jumonville that got canceled. Um, so we just came down here for the, the day and then Today, we were supposed to leave here and go to Cranberry for Monster Bash, and that got canceled. So we just tacked on a couple more days here yeah. and made a made a Chestnut Ridge, uh, you know, extravaganza out of the whole thing. We, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're both in the same boat. I've just been getting ready for, for the chaos that will kick off uh monday after this coming yeah um which for me means a lot of batteries charging (laughs) yeah because for you know for listeners i we shoot we're we shoot on the trail of predominantly on sony um especially the sony e7s2 which i've had now for four years i mean we we've had that camera so long that we filmed boggy creek monster on the on the Sony A7S2. So it's an old camera, but we always turn to it because it's got such good low light. We did upgrade. We got a Sony A7 III. Um, and then I also bought a Sony FS7 Mark II. So what I've been trying to do is get everything in a state, these other newer cameras in a state where I feel like I'm at least somewhat comfortable with them. You know, because uh, this, the, the way on the trail of works, especially what especially so far on the trail of Bigfoot works is I'll just hand a camera to anyone around me and be like, shoot, you know, shoot stuff for me. So whenever I do that, I have to show them how to use the camera. This time we're taking four fairly larger, you know, fairly good cameras with us. Plus all the little odds and ends cameras, like the night vision stuff we have and the GoPros and all that kind of stuff too. So this is actually a lot of cameras for a, for a, on the trail of shoot, but I have to get myself in like a state where I understand these cameras because I hand them to people and ask mm-hmm. them to, to shoot with them. So that right now I've been, I've been toiling over this FS seven too, cause it's an actual cinema camera. And the thing is way beyond anything we've ever shot on or owned uh, so just figuring out the settings and stuff has been difficult, but I've been doing that and then charging all these batteries. These Sony A7S II batteries are notoriously short-lived because they're tiny. Yeah. Uh, we get about 45 minutes on one battery. So I have almost 50 batteries <laughs> that I charge uh, prior to one of these treks. And uh, and then I just bought, I think, uh, 20 a7 three batteries uh which those are a longer life I, i've read as much as like three hours long three four hours long on those wow. so so those will be fine yeah um but yeah this is the this is the the stuff that you have to get done well in advance of the trip because then you have to pack everything and everything's got to go very specifically and this trip's different too because we have camping gear and all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. uh and and even knowing how to pack for the locations we're going to like the like weather wise it's 
it seems like it gets cool, especially in northern Maine, still gets very cool in the evening. I'm reading like 40s and 50s. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the range is going to be crazy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to get prepped for all that stuff. Um, uh, but I've been doing that and then we've been finishing, uh, editing of, of the Mothman legacy. I've mm-hmm. still got one recreation to shoot, but otherwise we are wrapped as of last weekend on filming. I've got to get this last recreation shot, which probably won't be anything too intricate. Um, but we went, yeah, we took a trip last weekend. It was, uh, Zach, Aaron and I, uh, back to West Virginia and we stayed, we stayed in an, an amazing location. As far as the location goes, you couldn't have been, it was an Airbnb right on the Ohio river as in like, you oh. didn't have to cross a road. It's literally yeah. on the river. Um, not literally on the river. That, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's right on the side <laughs> of the river. Yeah. It was a houseboat. <laughs> Woke up. We had traveled about 70 miles overnight. And no, um, we, uh, the the downside to this Airbnb was that it was cockroach infested. <laughs> oh. Uh, which we discovered in the morning. Uh, so that was cool. Um, that was fun. <laughs> it was also, I mean, it was, it would have been totally fine. Uh, I was actually pretty psyched about the place. It was a, it was a mobile home. So it's a single wide, but they had turned it, you know, it was very nice. Uh, mm-hmm. They made it look like you were in a cabin inside and, yeah. and all this stuff. Um, and I was, I was, pumped up about it but then and and thankfully i didn't realize this was going on until the next morning but the next morning is when we discovered there was like a dead cockroach in one room and then we saw one just scurry across the floor actually this is how you know it's an issue it lollygagged its way across the floor it kind (laughs) of just wandered through uh it was slow enough that we had time for zach to call us tell us there was a cockroach walk in get down on our hands and knees and stare at it that's how much time we had to, to make sure this was a cockroach. And not a wow. so, so that's our first, that's, that's interesting too. Cause we've been all over the country. We've stayed and I don't know, it's gotta be 25, 30 Airbnbs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, during on the trail of UFOs alone, we stayed in probably 10. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was that's all we do. We tend to stay in Airbnbs instead of hotels. Yeah. So that's in, in all that time. That's the first time we've stayed anywhere that had cockroaches. So that's a good, you know, that's that, a yeah. That's not bad. Um, good percentage. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing we got to do that you'll find interesting is we finally got to go to Village Village Pizza for uh, for the Mothman Pizza, and uh, yeah. I have to strongly recommend Village Pizza. Uh, I'll be going. I'll be going back. The other, you know, it's. This isn't a knock on West Virginia, but it's West Virginia. They don't mm-hmm. they don't care about coronavirus. Um, so so the I would say the um, the laws the the concern regarding uh, the coronavirus were were not they weren't they, they weren't prevalent. There there was not a lot of mm-hmm. guidelines happening uh, when we ate there. So that was nice. It was actually kind of felt normal in a way yeah. um and just in general mason county's recorded zero deaths relating to coronavirus mm-hmm. and uh galley has got a uh, i think galley has got a couple but i'm not even sure of that so people down there you know it's just you don't it feels verging on pre-coronavirus when you go down there. wow it just feels yeah. um you know the museum was packed there's people there were people in there and mm-hmm. 
And actually, uh, Jeff told me it was abnormally busy. So it's, mm. it was, um, I think for May they're, they're doing very well. And, and so that was fun. I mean, we just, it feels like home point pleasant to me is, is very close to feeling like home. Um, maybe even to an extent more so than a place like Wadsworth, <laughs> uh, oh, You know, because you go into town and people know you and you just like you, you know where people are and you have friends down there. And it's just it's just a a great place to visit. So we we had all our filming done. Uh, We did go to an amazing state park on Sun or Saturday. We're only there for about 30 hours Mm -hmm. uh, called Babcock State Park, which I really recommend um, just for like a, a really beautiful location to stay. And there's you sit up on this. There's there's actual like cabins. They sit up on on this mountaintop, and the views and everything are just unbelievable. So, really cool grist mill as well. So, strongly recommend those. Cool. Yeah. Um. You've frozen right now. You're just oh. sta- staring at me. Um. It's kind of creeping me out. <laughs> it's like a time war. Oh wait, there there we moved. So yeah, I I really um we had a lot of fun though. It's a uh, it, it's a it's been the the escape for us has been these shoots. So, so on the trail of Bigfoot is going to be, I think, kind of on another level as far as escape, escapism goes. And I also think I, on the trail of Bigfoot is going to be the most personal thing I've ever done. Um, I can just see that already. <laughs> By far, it's going to be the yeah. most personal thing I've done. Um, in writing the, I've already gotten you know the first chunk of narration written for the opening of the movie and things like that. So I, I'm excited to get into it because that's not terribly common that i can tell a personal story i mean on the trail of bigfoot you know the first time around was probably as close as we've come but yeah i mean this is this is some real inside baseball stuff we don't know what the movie is for next year and this is the first time where i can recall not knowing what our next film is going to be Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to have, you know, a lot of people that back the Kickstarter back that, you know, the executive producer level, or we had the creative board level, those people get a say in what we're doing next. So we have to, we have yet to really have time to nail down, a, a follow up to, um, the bell, Witch, which is coming later this year, mm-hmm. next year is all about on the trail of, as of right now, we've got two, my plan is to release two on the trail of Bigfoot's. Uh, and hopefully season two of on the trail of UFOs. And there's another project we're working on for next year as well. That's on the trail of related. So the movie, I really only wanted to do one movie next year and we still don't have that locked down, but after we're out of the Southern monsters trilogy, um, you know, I really want to either do desert dwellers or, um, East coast, which would bring us back into chestnut Ridge land. We potentially could dive back into that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we got yeah, we have letters. Let's uh, let's get through those letters and then let you guys get off on your right. wild adventure day. Okay. Well, our first letter is from Matthew Shang, and Matthew writes, "How is it going? I miss y'all so much. As you may know, I'm in Alaska for the next few months." I'm already experiencing weird stuff. First off, no one seems to know that reunited song by Peaches and Herb. So, Seth, I guess I believe you, and Bigfoot sightings are, like, rampant here. Cough, come here. I'm so lonely. Cough. You are killing it with episodes, my dudes. Much love. 
Uh, Matt has already reached out to me with tales of hidden cults. Whoa. Um, and some some other uh, wacky Alaskan stuff. I mean, it's funny he's in Alaska because you and I were. I mean, originally the the British Columbia trip was supposed to be an Alaskan trip. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It has since uh, been tabled. Both those trips have been tabled because I've got another thing. I'm, I'm I think is going to be the the second on the trail of Bigfoot title next year. Um, but we would have actually potentially been there this summer. Yeah, would have worked out well. I don't think it will now. Sorry, mm-hmm. Matt. You're on your own. Yeah. Well, it's been that kind of year, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really has. We were talking about this yesterday because there's another. I can't talk about this on the show, really, but there's another uh, wrench in the works for a title that was supposed to be coming from us uh, that we we've had to scuttle. So it's it seems like it's been one thing after the next <laughs> this entire year. Um, but yeah, stay safe in Alaska and don't get eaten by any grizzly uh, grizzly bears. Yes, it's an important lesson. Or Bigfoot, I guess. Yeah, or Bigfoot. We've never have we talked about the Port Port Chatham? Uh, have we talked about that movie on on the uh, show yet? The, no, you know? I don't think so. I, Did you watch? You watched yeah. the movie though, right? Yeah, we watched it. Yeah, um, I've watched it a couple times. Weirdly enough, I watched it again not not too long ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about the those ty- that approach to Bigfoot hunting shows or movies that I enjoy but i almost enjoy it more when nothing happens mm-hmm. when when it feels like you're really just getting an insight into how it actually feels to really go look for bigfoot that right that most of the time you're not going to experience anything um but i really enjoy i really enjoy that that uh port chatham movie and yeah. especially the cinematography so strong in that thing oh, it's gorgeous yeah I, I, and i love everything about like you said i like the whole idea of it, like just the trip, mm-hmm. sort of that you are there and, and just the little details like learning how to use those flotation suits and stuff. Yeah. Uh, just it's really fun. It's just a great it's a great watch. And yeah. uh, the stuff that they do find you know, is like the evidence of the habitations that used to be there. And yeah. the machinery is cool in and of itself. It is so that's really a good show. It's funny when you watch something like that, it stands up. It immediately stands apart. The first shots that's so important with film, indie film, especially relating to the paranormal is establishing right out of the gate that this is not the, you know, the typical garbage you'll find on network TV mm-hmm. or, or, or the other, the, the sort of lousy um, indie films that pop up on on Amazon, what I mean by that is there's a lot of like cash grabs that are that are taking place uh, in the last couple of years with with indie, independent content um, relating to the paranormal, where it, it it's pretty obvious it's just like a guy with a camcorder who threw something together in like 20 minutes in his garage. Yeah, um, something like that. Uh, the Port Chatham immediately sets itself apart because the scenery is so strong um, right out of the gate. We try to do that with. STM. I mean, that's been a part mm-hmm. of what we do for a very long period of time. Plus, it, it it's just a storytelling standpoint. It's a good move. It's a good move to immediately try to pull the pull the audience in, and and you can do that 
like a few different ways, but one of them is to either open with a big action sequence or open with some stunning scenery, you know, which is actually what we do with like Beast of Whitehall with opening the opening of Beast of Whitehall with the drone footage over the misty yeah. Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. But OK, uh, we have another letter. Yeah. All right. This is from Andrew Smith. Hi, Seth and Mark. Listening to episode 82 of Monsteropolis brought up something that I've noticed a few other times in Bigfoot reports. That is the reporting of sightings in newspapers that are published very far from where stories are said to have taken place. We have a local example. There is a report of a wild man from Flatwoods, West Virginia, that was reported by a Florida newspaper. The report can be found on our website, braxtonwv.org Bigfoot. This is a report from the Evening Telegram based in Florida in March 1919. I will attach the full report below for your reference if needed. Why did a Florida newspaper print a wild man story from Flatwoods, West Virginia? Further, I've not been able to find another telling of the story in a more local paper, or have I been able to track down any of the people mentioned specifically in the article. I'm left with the sense that this was completely made up in order to sell papers, and West Virginia was used as the setting to make it more difficult for their local readers to determine the veracity of the story. I would be interested in hearing your thoughts on this and similar stories and where your conclusions land. Thanks. All the best. Andrew. And he did attach the story. It's fairly short if you would like to hear the account. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Return of Wild Man Revives Old Terrors. Flatwoods, West Virginia. The belief that a wild man is still lurking in this vicinity, stealing and killing children and young pigs, Ooh, is wow. stronger than ever just now. Not older pigs. Just, no, just the just young. Just the young pigs, a.k.a. Pigling, piglets. Mm-hmm. Piglings. Piglings. <laughs> Younglings. I think that's what happened just now. Yeah. A story related by Luther C. Douglas has dispelled all hopes that the terrible creature had fled to other localities. Douglas's story follows. I was on my way home from lodge meeting, said Douglas, when I heard a noise near Ed Wiley's barn, which is close to the road. I thought it might be a dog and paid little attention to it at first. Then as I was passing a vacant house a short distance from Ed's place, I heard a distant door slam and a wild looking fellow in rags and with long hair and beard that others who have seen him have described came rushing out of the front door of the old house brandishing a huge knotted club and uttering the most horrifying sounds I've ever heard. Being convinced by his actions that I was to be assaulted and possibly killed, I drew my revolver and took two shots at him. With this, he turned and fled, screaming louder than I have ever heard. Being convinced by his actions that I was to be assaulted and possibly killed, oh, I just read that. I didn't pursue him, not me. It would have taken a braver man than I professed to be to go on the trail of that horrible creature. The authorities are again agitating the question of taking some means to capture the much-feared lunatic or whatever he is. And again, that's from Andrew Smith, the executive director of the Braxton County CVB and Flatwoods Monster Museum. Did he tell you, did he, he contacted me the other day and said there were people in the museum at that time who had, who were there because of Monsteropolis. I don't know if he contacted. No me way. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said oh. there were people in there because they because uh, they heard about it on the show. So I thought that That's was kind of awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. This could have been a whole show. Um, the, the what I've discovered in my brief 
foray into reading up and and researching historical accounts is that a lot of i mean a man i'd I'd say the larger number of these stories are made up Mm -hmm. i mean they're either i've always said there's like a few different elements that work here one is that a lot of it's made up to sell papers. Another another element is that uh, very often you are reading accounts of either, um, especially with wild men reports, you're either reading accounts of crazy people who wandered off into the, the wilds alone, uh, hermits, uh, mm-hmm. or, uh, yeah, I guess labeling them all crazy people probably isn't isn't the best way to put that, but a a lot of like hermit stories, a lot of lunatic quote unquote lunatic stories. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that you'll come across is, um, I mean, I guess there's no other way to classify it, but racism, uh, you've got a lot of reports of, of apes and things like that from, from the late 1800s and early 1900s that are, that's what they're referring to. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a series of stories out of San Francisco that I had found a while ago. And, and that's once you read through two or three accounts, you realized what they were referring to. Yeah. Um, so you've got those things at play. You do have stories like the Gallipolis ape um, that you can track down the people it's referring to who later are quoted as, you know, talking about that case. Mm-hmm. So some of these things, it's not every wild man story but a lot of them can immediately be be written off as one of those things that i just mentioned i i'm reading it's funny i'm now reading two books at once i'm reading uh monsters of the north woods and i'm reading uh the shadows in the woods still so i'm reading them both simultaneously but i read an account yesterday in monsters of the north woods of bigfoot um, and I, I believe this is northern New York, like the, you know, the east, east, northeast New York, I think it might have been up in Vermont, but there were accounts of a wild man that they actually called Bigfoot and, hmm. and, uh, they, they were looking for this guy, uh, for, for months he was sighted. People had, fo- uh, found his giant, uh, footprints and it describes the size of the footprint. Um, and, and how big everything is. And they, so they're, they're, um, finally he's seen, they finally track this Bigfoot down and, uh, it turns out it's a, it's a man. So this man had covered himself in, in, uh, first of all, he's a black man. That's the way it refers to him. He was covered in animal skins, animal furs, including his feet, which he had purposefully made considerably larger to make uh trekking across the snow easier Hmm. um they shot and killed him uh and 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 this is yeah this is what is this is what attributed to these reports of bigfoot um and it's interesting because whoever wrote this section of monsters uh, monsters of the northward woods alludes to this potentially being the first sort of inspiration or or even the first instance of bigfoot being a term Mm -hmm. and and potentially even being uh the inspiration behind calling sasquatch bigfoot in the pacific northwest years later because this is very early in the 1900s yeah i want to say like 1913 uh and i thought that 
that account was very interesting because if you came across, so if you came across one article, one of the early articles, you would probably throw that into a historical Bigfoot type book, you know, that compiles Bigfoot book or Bigfoot cases or Wildman cases. But it's actually a story about a, a man who was a hermit who was living out in the wilds and was eventually shot and killed. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, and, and I believe there's either, there were even, you know, references to him being covered in fur and that kind of thing as well. But if you read on, you can find the truth behind the story. I thought the point that Andrew brought out that was really insightful and, and um, is undoubtedly right is the fact that, you know, in 1919, there was really no way to cross check. Right. If you're reading a story in Florida, you know, how in the world are you going to find out anything about West Virginia, you know, without almost physically going there to ask questions? And no one was doing that at that time. So the the writers and the, the publishers were in the position of being able to, you know, put out any information that they wanted, knowing that it really couldn't be verified. And so um, they know people love that type of story. Uh, the thing, other thing that you you brought up too is, and I really do wonder sometimes how much, in addition to uh, you know some race issues play into this, you know, also like bona fide mental illness. Yeah. You know, at, at, before the turn of the century, you know, last turn of the century, and and uh, at that time period. If that isn't just what a few, what some people came across is, mm-hmm. you know, there was no nowhere for some of these people to go, and they just became, you know, sort of cast off, survived, yeah, cast yeah, yeah. offs, and and lived off of the land or or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mercy somebody could provide for them for mm-hmm. a small period of time, but. You, that could easily be conflated into a so-called wild man. And especially when you get reports like this, where the the, the figure in question is in tattered clothing mm-hmm. and they're described in terms of long hair and a beard, as opposed to, you know, hairy all over. You can't help but think that maybe somebody was just approached by uh, an unfortunate soul. Yeah. And that turned into a whole series of, legends and stories yeah uh the the only thing i can say about you know the articles appearing in papers far away um from from their actual setting is that that you know it's it's similar to the associated press today now i don't know if they had what i mean by that is articles were picked up in papers right the the gallopolis ape story um i don't know that i've ever read that in the actual Gallopolis newspaper. I've always mm. read that in papers in Michigan and Pennsylvania and things like that. So, mm-hmm. so there, there is that that does happen. Other papers pick up these stories, and and I don't know how they did that. I don't know if uh, the other paper would send it to that. I have no idea how in the late 1800s and early 1900s that was happening. Right. You know, but but uh, that occasionally does happen. But I think you're right. If you can't find any. Uh, if you can't find these people, if they don't, if these people didn't even exist, then the story's clearly, probably, you know, made clearly made up. Mm-hmm. It would be my assumption. So, 
really interesting. I know we've talked a lot about the historical accounts from from newspapers, but uh, an entire episode kind of on the, you know, what goes into that research or what needs to go into that research could be interesting. I mean, I guess we've just kind of touched on that as well. So yeah. maybe we don't need to, but um, thanks for the letter, Andrew. That was really cool. Yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> yeah, monsteropolismail at gmail.com if you want to send your own letter in. Um, if you want to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, tunes, iTunes, you can. Uh, monsteropolismail at gmail.com, I just said. I don't know what I'm doing today. Uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're on all those platforms. Follow us if you feel like it. Uh, by the time we come back next week, we are going to be on the cusp of leaving to film. So I think probably the next episode is going to be another uh, travel-centric episode where we talk about the trip that's forthcoming. Um, maybe even try to get Alexander or something on with us so we can discuss the, oh, yeah. the trip that's to come. But um, I know I know we're all pumped up about it, so I'm pretty excited. Yep. Um. I think that does it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Mark, for joining me, even while you're on vacation. Yeah, you got it. Monsteropolis is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth. <laughs>